Today we're going to be talking about why theology matters. Why theology matters. So we're going to take a break from our study of the gospel according to Luke. Um, we'll get back to that, but at least for the next two weeks we'll be talking about why theology matters. Um, why are we going to do that? Because theology matters. <laughs> so uh, that's why we're going to do that. And because so often, probably more times than not, um, people don't think it does. And so uh, we're going to be talking about really why it does. So if you don't think it does, uh, I'll try to sell you on the idea, uh, even though I'm not a salesman. Um, I'll try to convince you from the Bible that it actually is very important, more like. Uh, and if you already think it's important, uh, hopefully I can help you even see its importance in a greater sense. Um, and hopefully also, given the fact that we care about the people we're around, uh, we care about people, we're supposed to care about people who are around us, um, maybe this can better equip us um, to thoughtfully, biblically communicate to others around us who don't think it matters why it does matter. And so this is missions training in that sense, um, because again, the common consensus around us would be that it doesn't really matter. And uh, so I, I want to help equip you, and hopefully it's a way for you to show love to people um, and helping them to see that it really does matter. So it's normal for us to be going through a book of the Bible. I think that's bread and butter. Um, I think that's the basic staple, um, and that's what I love to do most. But at times, I think it's helpful to take a little bit of a break um, looking at passages, different passages, um, and, and seeing why this is an important matter. So 10 reasons why theology matters and... Uh, Lord willing, we'll get five done today, but I've been known to lie before. I am a sinner, and so I have five before me, and uh, hopefully we'll get done with those five, but if not, we'll talk about it next week. So, ten reasons why theology matters, looking at different passages. I suppose I should start by saying theology is the study of God. Okay, Theology is the study of God. It's about knowing God. Um, let's make it a little bit broader. It's the study of God and His ways. So it includes us. Uh, how does He relate to us? How do we relate to Him? How does He relate to the world around Him? How did the world begin? How is it going to end? That's, it's all about theology because it all relates to who God is. So that's what I mean when I'm, when I'm saying theology. Okay? Well, that's what we're going to do. But it seems like it's nice for me to say, okay, are you guys ready to do this? And that's how it's going to be. The first reason why theology matters is because everyone is a theologian. Everyone is a theologian, okay? Now, not everybody thinks they're a theologian, but everybody's a theologian. An atheist is a theologian, right? Because in their title, they're making a statement about God. They're saying God doesn't exist, but they're, they're making a truth claim about God, that he doesn't exist. That's a theological statement. Uh, Judas was a theologian. Mary was a theologian. Daniel was a theologian. You're a theologian. I'm a theologian. Some people have degrees in theology. Some people have it as a profession. But we're all theologians because we all have an opinion, good or bad, about who God is and how God works. So everyone's a theologian. But we'll typically hear people say things like, um, I'm not into theology. Uh, I just love Jesus. But then if you say, thoughtfully, carefully, right? If you say, so what, what do you love about Jesus? And they're going to say, well, what I love about Jesus is Jesus died for my sins. Whoa, that's a huge dose of theology, isn't it? That's a huge theological statement. 
He died for your sins. Well, well, well death has to do with theology. Um, and, and your sins? Well, if there's a sin, that means there's a transgression, bigger word I know, uh, a stepping over, a violating of law. Well, apparently God has a law and it's been violated. This is, this is theology if you say Christ died for my sins. And then you said he died for your sins. For, that's a substitutionary word in place of. Oh, you believe that Jesus died in your place? You believe in substitution? You must. You're a theologian. Christ died for your sins? Well, and who, who, who is Christ? It's a huge theological statement. Someone else might say, you know what? I, I don't believe Jesus died. I believe he was a good person and a moral prophet. That's a, that, that's a theological statement. It's not Christian theology, but that's a theological statement, right? I'm not into theology. I just seek to love God. Theological statement. Why would you seek to love God? What's that about? Theological statement. We're all theologians in one way or another. Sometimes people say Christianity isn't about creeds, it's about deeds. It's not about theology, it's about action. That's a theology. Might not be a good theology. But that's a theology. That the way we relate to God is by our actions. That's a theology. Everybody's a theologian. So let's at least start there. Have I convinced you that everybody's a theologian or not? If I say, what do you believe about God? If you say anything, you've revealed you're a theologian. Might not be a good theologian, but you've revealed you're a theologian. You have an opinion about God and how he relates. So it's an important matter because how about this? It's relevant to everyone on planet Earth. This is a relevant sermon if there ever was a relevant sermon. It's relevant to everybody. And it'll help equip you to relate to everybody because everyone has an opinion. I have no Bible verses for point number one, by the way. Sorry, some of you are getting nervous. Your Bible is not open or you don't know where to go. And I'm that kind of person. Um, we'll get there. Second reason why theology is important. Worship is informed by it. Worship is fostered by it. It's informed and fostered by it. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 and then John chapter 4. There's no particular order for these, but um, sometimes we'll think, well, I, I, I just want to worship God. I, I don't want to get into theology because that's the stuffy stuff. But what we see in the Bible and in our actions, what you believe about God has everything to do with worship. Or your worship has everything to do with your theology. They're connected. They're meant to be connected. They're not enemies. But we in our, in our pop Christian culture try to pretend like they're enemies. And they're against, I just want to worship. I don't want to do theology. Well, actually, they're tied together and they're meant to be tied together. They're friends. And so Romans is so helpful. And I go here time and time again. Um, because for 11 chapters, you have all of these profound theological realities about God being the creator and God being the righteous judge and God being just and God being gracious and, and God being merciful and God being loving and God reconciling us 
through His Son and, and, and propitiation being made, satisfaction and atonement and resurrection and, and Holy Spirit transformation and, and all God's sovereignty and all of these things have been happening and it's just this major, major sip out of the fire hydrant oh, theology. And now we're ready to worship. And then in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, in light of 11 chapters of truths about God and how He relates to us, therefore I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that, that really is shorthand for chapters 1 to 11, the mercies of God, that just captures what God has been doing in His relationship to us. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice the direct connection between mercies of God, i.e. theological truths in the first 11 chapters, and then he says, worship. Worship in light of that. Your worship is informed by that. So they're not against each other. I would point out to you that if you really, truly, genuinely want to have rich and profound and meaningful worship, acknowledging to God His worthiness really is what the idea of worship is, you've got to know who He is. And you've got to know the deep stuff. And you've got to know the profound stuff. And then all of a sudden, you're ready to really and truly worship God. How weird is it, how strange is it that we want to talk about worship without any theology? Is it just entertainment? Emotionalism? Selfishness? I don't know. But the well that we need to draw from is that, that deep, profound, awesome, amazing, gracious God and how He relates to us. We see His worthiness. And then we learn something about, about this from Jesus. We were in John chapter 4 earlier. I want to redirect your attention there uh, for a moment or two. Jesus dealing with the Samaritan woman. You might not pick up on it right away, um, but, I mean, Jesus is kind and gracious, but in another sense, he takes the gloves off. Because not using these exact words, he, he's saying that she and her people are false worshipers. He's saying that she and her people are idolaters. That they don't really worship God. Because they don't have the truth. See, the big issue ends up being where you worship God. But even bigger than that is how you know who this God is. And the Samaritans rejected the majority of the Bible, the Old Testament. The truth about God as it had been revealed. And Jesus makes the point that salvation is not of the Samaritans. You don't know who God is. You worship that which you don't know. It's not a compliment. Okay. <laughs> but salvation is of the Jews. True worship is saved people worship. The Jews have it right because they worship God in the truth. Now, things are going to change because it's not going to be just in the truth anymore as then it relates to the temple. It's going to be in spirit and in truth. Jesus is the temple. Not to mention the fact that we're called the temple of the spirit. But don't misunderstand, he's not saying in, in this passage that Jews are out to lunch and the Samaritans are out to lunch and I'm here to fix everything. No, actually, the Jews have had it right. The right place, the right Bible, 
right understanding of who God is, at least on paper, and I'm coming to bring fulfillment to these things. So it's telling us a lot about worship. How about verse 20? Um, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, there it is. You worship what you do not know. You worship it in ignorance. That would be called idolatry. We'll talk about that. We worship what we know. See, he's giving it the matter of revelation. For salvation is from the Jews. And then he goes on to unpack some other nuances. Think about Samaritans and their worship. We have no reason to question their sincerity. This Samaritan woman may very well have been the daughter of a Samaritan mom and dad. Maybe the granddaughter of Samaritan grandparents. She's a Samaritan. We worship on this mountain, not like the Jews. And Jesus says, you worship what you don't know. Salvation is not of the Samaritans. Salvation is of the Jews. It's pretty hardcore. But he's here to speak the truth and tell her about living water, the truth about himself. My point in bringing it up today is our worship is related to our theology. And though we might not reside in Samaria, if we have a a theology that's not a biblical theology, we might be worshipers, but we might be worshiping what we don't know. Salvation is not of us. It's pretty sobering. It's pretty sobering. It's sobering because, man, we can have just the right style of music. And we can have it just all perfect and the lighting and the emotions and the feeling and say, man, we had some good worship. If we don't know who God is, we worship that which we don't know, even though we're sincere and it feels good. So we've got to be serious about this. Well-informed about this. And worship God according to the truth, as Jesus said. Boy, that makes me want to learn who God is. Who is this God and how how does he relate to us? And I want to do that. Because I want to offer true worship. And not only do I want to offer true worship, I want to offer worship that is the Romans 12 kind of worship. I mean, think about if if you're really grappling with this God who who is inflexibly righteous. He's fair to the bone. Figure of speech. Um, (laughs) This isn't good. This isn't good at all for you and for me. If we're not righteous, if we're not just law upholders, 
And then we learn about God's judgment and it's worse. And then we learn about God's mercy. And then we learn about how He graciously, lovingly comes here in His Son. And His Son upholds that righteous law. And His Son voluntarily voluntarily goes to the cross to pay the penalty for our transgressions, our law-breaking. And He's raised from the dead. His work is done. You're learning about these things. If you're really grappling with these kinds of issues, man, you're just ready for Romans 12.1. Yeah! I want to give my whole life to worship this God. How much better is that than some sort of emotional kind of, you know, pick-me-up-ism that doesn't last? I'm so thankful that God has told us about these things. I'm thankful to know that there can be worship in ignorance. It's not real worship. I'm glad to know that. Okay, let's go to number three. Number three. Theology is important because idolatry is for real. Idolatry is for real. How many of you have heard the word idolatry this week in casual conversation? I know I brought it up at least to a couple of different people, so there's at least a couple of two, three hands. It's not a word we use very often. It's kind of a foreign word. Uh, It's not a word we're used to. because it's not an idea we're used to as a concept. But i got to tell you, and I'll show you in a second, it's all over the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, idolatry is real. And as one good thinker once said, the essence of idolatry, I mean, you just want to say, well, what is idolatry? Well, it's an idol. Okay, I get that. But the essence of idolatry is, is, is wrong thinking about God. It starts there. If I don't have an idea of who God is, then, then I have a, 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 a different God, at least in my thinking. And it may cause me to carve an image. It may cause me to melt something and build something and bow down and worship it or, or something like that. But the idea is it starts in my mind. This is what God is like and this is how he relates, but it's not actually true. And the Bible calls that idolatry, false worship. So if you want to turn to Exodus, you can turn to Exodus 20. Uh, it's kind of the starting place for idolatry. I don't want to make any assumptions here as far as um, at least explicitly uh, forbidden. And maybe as you're turning there, just to give you an idea of kind of what our attitude should be like toward idolatry. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 26 says this. And you shall not bring an abominable thing, it's talking about a carved image, an idol, into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is, a devo- for it is devoted to destruction. And so God is this super serious to His people saying, you know what I want you to think about those idols? I just told you, I didn't read it, but I just told you how those idols are going to be destroyed. I want you to detest and abhor those that are going to be destroyed and not be like them, not like them. Because he says, and be devoted to destruction like it. Idol worship is horrible. It's defaming God. 
in a sense, it's calling God a liar about how he's revealed himself. It's awful. Theology matters because how do you view this God? Is it really true to who he really is? Or is it something we've carved, maybe not with a knife, with our own hearts? I, I, I need to know this. So going back to that traditional passage, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Clear, straightforward, to the point. Complementing that is in verse 4. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Isn't it interesting, the love and the hate? You love God, you don't need worship helps. <laughs> you don't want to have a false God, and you don't even want to have creaturely things that help you to maybe supposedly understand the one true God. You want to love me? Then do this. But you would have to say, well, who are you, God? Well, I'm the God who delivered you. See, remember, theology is who God is and how he works. And he's already said plenty more about himself before this. He's the one who's transcendent. He is the one who is great and beyond. So you can't make an image that would look like him. And yet he's personal and careful and close. Loving, kind, and gracious. It's a theological issue. Romans chapter 1 is a, is a classic New Testament passage that would be just as strong as the old. Maybe you can turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Then we'll move on. We're not going to take the time to go there, but what's interesting in the New Testament also is, is covetousness is equated with idolatry. So it's, it's not just when we you know, go out to the shed and build something. Um, we're not going down that road right now, but the idea is if it, if it occupies first place in your heart and it's what you're devoted to, it's, it's your idol, it's your God. And so God wants that place for himself, but who is God? Well, we have to know that from theology. That's what makes it important. Romans chapter 1 says in verse 21, for although they knew God, so we have God's revelation, okay? So you, it, it is possible to know God. He's revealed himself. That's what makes it so scandalous. They knew God. He'd revealed himself. They did not honor him as God. So they didn't honor him as the God who had revealed himself accordingly. They denied his revelation, in other words. Or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, or futile if you prefer, in their thinking, or as some translations say, speculations. And their foolish hearts were darkened. That's a, that's a super important verse when it comes to this matter. So God makes himself known and clear. 
we have creation, not to mention the fact that we have the Bible, the law of God written on our hearts. We have the incarnation and Christ coming. We have all of those things. He makes himself known even clearer than he would have made himself known there. He makes himself known. And yet idolatry says speculation, speculation. Here's what I think. Here's my opinion. As I mockingly say all the time, to me, God is. That's a statement of idolatry. Idolatry is real. We're speculating about who God is, and God doesn't want to be speculated about where he's made himself known and clear. Theology matters because idolatry is real. I wonder how many of you bought a best-selling book where it says that God the Father has a body that's physical. And I think, as I recall reading, uh, he's just a little bit taller than, I think it's either Gabriel or Michael the Archangel. God the Father doesn't have a body. God the Father is a spirit. To say that God the Father has a body is foolish speculation. And historically, Christians would say, That's idolatry. Scandalous. And we, the gullible, ignorant of theology evangelicals, slap it up. Mmm, we like poison. It's good. To me, God is. To me, God is. But but, but the boy who, who said these things is sincere. Samaritans were sincere. Theology matters. And I'm being a little bit hard right now. I know I'm being a little tough. It's not appropriate for every occasion. But for this one, I think it is. Christians of all people should know basic theology. God is spirit and those who worship him worship in spirit and in truth. No Christian has ever, apart from the cults, believed that God the Father has a body. Are you kidding me? Foolish speculations. Theology matters because idolatry is real. So you can get better equipped to go go and help people and say, well, let me show you what the Bible says about who God is. And based, based upon what the Bible says, clearly this can't be true or real because it's in direct contradiction to biblical theology. my little alarm goes off on my iPad, it's either because maybe I just said something really awesome (laughs) or really terrible. (laughs) I'm just going to wait till the thing goes off the screen so I'm not going to look and see who just texted me so I can call you out of the congregation. I think it's probably on do not disturb and maybe only my wife who has a migraine today could get to me. So just a second while I check... No, I'm not going to do that. Um, she is feeling horrible today. So, Let's move on to number four. Number four, another reason theology is important is because it's a moral issue. It's a moral issue. I want to go to John chapter 8 for this, if you want to go ahead and turn there. But as you're turning to John 8, maybe we can, um, in our minds, linger in Romans 1. 
uh, and in Genesis. It's a moral issue. What you believe about God is a moral issue. You say, no, moral issues have to do with how I behave. That's true, they do. But what you believe about God is also a moral issue. Because God has clearly revealed Himself. Okay? He's spoken through creation, through His Son, pinnacle of communication, the high point, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. He's given His written revelation. So God has spoken to the point where we know, we have access to the knowledge, we have access to that truth. He's knowable. And for then, for me to speculate... And, and contradict what he's revealed. Isn't that a moral issue? For God to say, here's who I am. And for me to say, well, here's who I think you are. I know the beginning from the end. I work all things after the counsel of my will. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Well, I'm not really sure if God knows the future. And you know... Really? That's a moral issue. That's sin. Sin is not just what we do. It's even related to what we think and what we believe and what we say. Boy, theology is important. This reminds me, I hope it reminds you, of the garden. Let's just go back to the beginning of a bad theological statement or questioning. Well, has God said? Uh Uh-oh. Is God really like that? No, he said he would do this, but he, he won't. Dun, 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 you know? Oof. Let's not speculate. And let's remember that it's a moral issue. So I, I, well, here's the deal. Here's the motivator. I want to know who this God is. And Jesus is relating it to Scripture and himself. So I want to know what the Bible says. All of the Bible, not just part of the Bible like the Samaritans. All of the Bible and, and who Jesus is. And, and, and that's what I want to believe. And, and I, I don't want to sin by saying I don't believe those things. I mean, I, I kind of want to get busy and know. And then John chapter 8. Fascinating. John chapter 8 and verse thir- uh, 23. We'll read 23 and... 24. Um, Theology is a moral issue because of the the object of one's faith, what you believe in. In verse 23, he said to them, so Jesus says to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. We're for for sure talking about moral issues, right? We're talking about sins. I told you you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe, that's not action, like performing certain good deeds. Unless you believe, unless you trust, unless you have faith, unless you believe that I, Jesus, am He, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who comes to give life, the long ago promised one, unless you have the right theology about me, you'll go to hell. 
wow, how kind was it of Jesus to say that? Right? If it's true. We immediately think, man, isn't he mean? No, not if he's God's only son. And it all surrounds him. Oh man, I'm so glad he said it. But please make no mistake about it. Theology is a moral issue there. What you believe about Jesus must be true. It must be right. I'm not saying, I don't think Jesus is saying you have to have perfect theology to go to heaven. <laughs> no, but, but you do have to believe the truth about Jesus. Theology matters. I don't think any of us have perfect theology. I think we will when we see Christ and we'll be made like Him. But you've got to believe the truth about it. Fascinating. Theology is a moral issue. So in one sense, when you say, okay, pastor, you know, how can I apply the sermon? Which is a great question. On a certain level, the best application of all applications is believe in Jesus. Not the Jesus of I think. Speculation. But believe in the Jesus you've heard about. There's more to life than that. Things move on from there. We'll talk about love and we'll talk about how Christians are to be known for their love. But I would submit to you that the love comes as a result of knowing God's love for you first and now we imitate that. Because unless you believe that Jesus is Him, you'll die in your sins. It's a moral issue. Moral issue with ramifications. I've lost track of how many times people have told me um, about some great book, great church, great conference. I've lost track of how many times people tell me about things like that. Let's just use the church one. It's a great church. And they tell me about how cool it is and, and how everybody is like them. and Everybody's young there. It's awesome, whatever it might be. For you, maybe everybody's old there. But the one I think of, everybody's young and so awesome and so cool, man. And it's just every... Well, okay, this sounds interesting. I know some people there too. That sounds kind of neat. The first thing I'm going to do is pull up the website and look at the doctrinal statement. Oh, they believe that about how God works in salvation? I could never go to that church. Because theology is a moral issue. Am I looking for the perfect church? I hope not, because I ain't found one to hear. <laughs> but to know this is who God is, and his, this is how He works, I, I can't say, but you know what? This really feels good. It's cool. I'm going to ignore this. I can't do that. I can't do that in a million years. I remember... We'll end on this. I know, we didn't get five done. But I remember going to a church one time with, with my wife and, and it was everything that she couldn't handle stylistically. I mean, it was, it was she almost couldn't sit there. I mean, it was just, I'm not even going to tell you the style because it might be the style you like or what. I mean, it was just, she, she just almost had to leave. And we're on a vacation and, and, and I'm so excited to go to this church. 
Not my style either, but historic, great history. I had like, physically had to like hold her leg down. (laughs) With a great, rich, awesome theological tradition of fidelity to the Bible and the God of the Bible. Priority number one. Priority number one. But you get the idea. Cool is one thing. Comfortable is one thing. Trendy is one thing. But let's, let's just remember what we're ultimately talking about. The God who is. And the God who has revealed himself. I want you to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him better and grow in that. We'll talk about that. But these really should be amazing, awesome, yet ironclad convictions. Strong. Because we know this is who God is. And we know this is how he's, how he's worked. And those are non-negotiables. Makes me think about the, the faith, Jude says that has been once and for all delivered to the saints. I want to be in touch with that. That's cutting edge. (laughs) In all the best senses. But we need to be done for this morning. Hope you're stirred. Hope you're encouraged. Hope you're motivated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for the fact that you've graciously made yourself known. You didn't have to, and yet you have. Um, We're not claiming to to know you perfectly. We're not claiming to know everything about you. Uh, And yet you have made yourself known and and you hold us accountable to believe the truth about you. And so obviously that's, that's possible according to your grace. Motivate us to read our Bibles and ask the question, who is God and and how does he relate to his people and, and, and have that increase and enhance our worship, our devotion to you and our love for other people as we know your love for us even better. Keep us, motivate us, stir us as we leave this place. And come back next week. In Jesus' name, amen.